0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst.
1: Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
2: Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle, and will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munsons. Want to give them a wide berth. Is what is called a born
1: loser. A real Munson.
2: <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We don't have James this time. He has a family engagement, aka he had a review for a film that he hated and said, fuck that, I am not showing up to that podcast. I'll get into that more of that later. Just kidding. He, our lives are chaos right now, and able to be with us. Is anybody going to channel some inner James in the meantime? Maybe we'll see. I'm not witty enough for that,
0: it's Aubrey. Well, it's crazy time. We're getting towards the end of basketball season, but it's it's a bit of like a we got chill week coming up. So it's just teaching, coaching basketball, surviving this last stretch run to where I get all my time back, and then I can watch and even more amount of movies like a worse amount of movies than I normally do now uh, but it's chill over here man I'm just living good and kind of glad to be having this conversation so I can move on from the person we're talking about
2: boy <laughs> all right let's see where we go from here
0: <laughs> ooh
2: Rigby the mark version
3: yeah uh, so I like this time of year for movies just because it's award season but that also means that I am Finally, going to stop procrastinating and watch a lot of the movies that are being nominated. Um, the really the only one I've seen so far is uh, Banshees of uh, Inisherin, um, which I really liked. You fucking bet! Yeah, the accents were the best, and it was just like it was just a beautiful movie. It was like really cool, just off like the coast of Ireland, and and Colin Farrell and, and Gleason; those two guys together are great.
1: You guys may not know this, but in our demographic listings, we we score very high with flight attendance particularly flight attendants at Southwest Airlines. They were blowing the message boards up, unhappy about our discussions regarding Southwest Airlines. And so I just want to make sure that everybody knows that we are very, very pro flight attendant, especially those uh, flying the friendly skies with Southwest Airlines. We love you Southwest. We love you. Just wanted to get that out there. It's been heavy on my heart ever since that last episode dropped. And, you know, I just, I can only make so many amends behind a keyboard.
2: This message is brought to you by the PR team from Munson's (laughs) at the Movies. Mm -hmm. Hey,
1: that's scary shit if I'm leading the PR team, I'll tell you that.
2: I'm happy to report on that we apparently were the number one podcast in Saudi Arabia recently, so shout out to the Saudis. Big fan of the podcast, if you're listening. I think there's just a lot of Dakota Johnson fans in Saudi Arabia. Number number one movie podcast, right? Yeah. Um, Damn, really? Yeah, I don't know if I believe that, but you guys
4: got to partner with Live Golf and you know, get like uh, get get to Shambo to wear like a Munson at the movies
3: hat when he's teeing off. That'd be sweet oh, for sure. That's a That's, great idea, actually. That is a great idea.
2: Well, we're glad to bring back the other Rigby. So we got John Rigby back with us. He he lives currently lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he works as an attorney. He was previously with us for the Allison Janney, William Hurt, and Laura Linney episode. So it's been a little while. Welcome back, John. How's it going out in the desert?
4: been a Nevada resident now for almost six months, having moved from California, and uh, had a terrible movie year in 2022. It was probably my worst as an adult. Um, the only movie that I... The, I'm not kidding. The only new movie that I watched was Top Gun Maverick, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> so... But I'm, I'm here to talk about uh, a bunch of old movies, which is my which is my wheelhouse, so I'm ready to go.
2: Right. Didn't have to do much research here. We're just digging straight into the, uh, the early days of the Rigby's. Oh, yeah. Let's get into some birthdays. January 26th. Rigby, what do we got?
3: Yeah, so first up, we got well, one of my uh, favorite unheralded actors, Mr. David Trithairn. Most people probably know him. Um... From as Edward R. Moreau in Good Night and Good Luck, that's what he was nominated for Best Actor for. What he started as a character actor and now he's a now he's a, a pretty strong build guy. So um I've always liked him. So yeah, guess how
2: old he's turning on January twenty sixth. I always think of him in uh We Are Marshall, Nomad Land, The River Wild mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a League of Their Own, too.
3: Every John Sayles movie. I was gonna say every John Sayles, yeah. Eight Men Out mm-hmm. and um the, the Caucus Seven like John Sayles yeah. like first big movie he was in that Was he in the Jason Bourne movies?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he played like a bureau he played like a bureaucrat. I love that dude. Love it. Yeah, he's really good.
2: Mm. I think David is in his late 50s. So I'm going to go 59. Oh, I think he's older than that. I'm going to go 65. I think he's
0: old too. 67.
2: I'm going to go I'm gonna, I'm
4: going
3: to say 64. Uh, no you guys, no guys no all no undershot fish. it big time. He's turning 74. Wow. wow. There you go, Aubrey. 74? Yeah. His first role was in 1980, so he started relatively late. I mean, he would have been like 31. So congratulations on that win, Aubrey. And we're only doing two this time, so we got one more. Uh, Mr. Scott Glenn. I probably know him best as FBI Director Crawford in science of the lambs yeah but he's in tons of stuff from the 80s the right stuff silverado
4: silverado, silverado.
3: yeah nashville the robert altman movie i think mm-hmm. he's in uh shortcuts
1: yep as I say he's in the urban cowboy not to be confused with
3: drugstore cowboy yeah i've never seen that
2: you forgot him in uh your favorite uh cinematic universe He plays stick in uh in the marvel shows I'm shocked I missed that why'd, one. why'd you leave that out, man? Come on. <laughs> Must have just slipped my mind, Kyle. I'm going to say Scott Glenn is a crispy 83 years old. We've never had to
1: add BC before, have we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the Jeez. end, excuse me. Um, give me a 92.
2: He's 93. 92. 92. <laughs> Man was a martial arts person in a Marvel show three years ago, and you think he's he 92? Is, he
3: is He is in very good shape, I will say that. That's all right, baby. I'm, I'm sticking with him, buddy. I'm going with 80.
4: I'm going to go 79. I'll, I'll play the under here.
3: Pretty close. He's turning 84. That's right, baby. So, oh, good, good grief. Yeah, 84. Both those, guys, both those guys look really good for their age. It can ask shocking it's hollywood so happy birthday to you two guys
2: uh five actors that we threw onto the wheel this is episode 78 and those five were alfred molina danny glover david keckner michelle pfeiffer good list all around but it doesn't matter because the wheel selected matt Dillon. john agreed to join us to talk about matt Dillon and matty d has 67 credits on his IMDb, mostly film, a little bit of TV we'll talk about, but mostly films throughout his career. Before we get started, what we always do, we start with some trivia, Fast and Furious style. Usually James would try to stump us, but since he's not here, John as a veteran stepped up and uh, maybe he's he's going to try to trick us with some Fast and Furious facts.
4: Yeah, so I got uh, three, three facts here about Matt Dillon, one of them, which is false, two of them, which are true. Uh, The first one is is that Matt Dillon starred as Johnny Drama in Entrez... Oh, shit, that's Kevin Dillon. Oh, wait, never mind. Sorry, I did that wrong. Shut up. Uh, Okay, here we go. These are my Matt Dillon notes. Let's see. Okay. All right, Uh, we got three facts here on Matt Dillon. The first fact, Matt Dillon once landed a screen role by writing a handwritten letter to an Oscar-winning director and telling him how much he loved and admired his work. Second fact, Matt Dillon directed an episode of the acclaimed HBO drama Oz. And the third fact, Matt Dillon's filmography contains three consecutive screen credits that are all adaptations of books by the same
3: author. (laughs) We know that one's not a diesel fact. Yeah. It's a children's book. Yeah, (laughs) I think I think one is true, because I think that probably happened with Francis Ford Coppola in The Outsiders, which we'll get to. I think two is also true. I'm going to say three is the lie. What Fast and Furious character would be in a book adaptation, though? Dakota Johnson in Fifty Shades of Grey. Somebody in the
2: Clifford (laughs) the Big Red Dog movie that came out last year. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, somebody. in Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, Kurt Russell or something.
3: Yeah, Kurt Russell. I'll say Kurt Russell. That's a good guess.
2: Nah, that's th- that's false. That was Gina Carano. That was she was like in high school, freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Got had some connections. They s- sent a letter to a director. The letter directed how she got her start into becoming a big old piece of shit.
0: I think the first two are true. Also, I think the third one is the lie, and I think that's Helen Mirren because that's the only person I could come up from this, with this cast that would do something like that. it was probably an accident because she didn't even know. That's a good guess.
1: I'm going to say that fact one is the lie. And I'm only saying that because every time I see a Kurt Russell movie fantasizing about our episode when we eventually do Kurt Russell and how I'm not going to let you guys talk. So I think fact one is about Kurt Russell.
4: Fact three, or the three consecutive screen credits, is true. Yeah. The author is S.E. Hinton, the author of The Outsiders, Rumblefish, and *Tex*. three straight screen credits. And between one and two, the other true fact is fact two. Matt Dillon did, in fact, direct an episode of the acclaimed HBO drama Oz in 1997. And the lie, as Craig correctly guessed... Is Matt Dillon once landed a screen role by writing a handwritten letter to an Oscar-winning director and telling him how much he loved his work? That was actually Vin Diesel to Steven Spielberg, which landed him, which landed him a role in Saving Private Ryan. That is really cool. <laughs> what an incredible thing! That's pretty good, man. Honestly, the Oz thing is crazy. He has like not directed much else since, and the fact that that was like one film, yeah. So it's kind of crazy that mm-hmm. I mean that show that show kind of set the map for the Sopranos and the Wire and a lot of
2: those other HBO dramas. Okay, Case, why don't you tell us a little bit about his box office snapshot?
1: Well, Matt Dillon does not do very well in our uh, in our box office metrics. Aside from two movies that he certainly wasn't the main character in, he would probably have one of our worst, have the worst box office snapshot. He's got the 78th lowest average budget. Oh, He's starting his sixth decade of box office earnings, and he's ranked 65th. His uh, star meter at time of recording is 61st. Critic ranking is a little bit lower than I thought at 37th. Fan ranking, 72nd. Uh, and then 53rd and 19th in our two different box office metrics with the 19th coming courtesy of Something About Mary. All right, so that all being said, Mr. Dillon ranks 66th in comparison to our other performers.
2: Lower than I thought. Me too. Given the, the early in his career, the high ratings on stuff, I thought it would be higher, but I, I also assumed his IMDb star rating would be really low. Yeah. Yeah, 61st. That makes sense. What we're here to do is to talk through why. We chart the course of his career, so we'll get into it. Let's do it. All right, so first major role is going to be 1979. We've alluded to it a little bit. So before 1979, there's not a ton about Matt Dillon on his Wikipedia and other places, the young life. James isn't here to teach us his ways of how he finds all the interesting dirt and things he finds on people. But um, what I was able to find is he was born in Rochelle, New York, 1964.
1: My guy on the radio, Ron Bennington, he always tells stories about the uh, final scene in the TV show Gunsmoke, the viewer gets to do a quick draw with Matt Dillon. And so I, I just, I just filed that away. And then when you said, um, we were covering Matt Dillon, this episode, I was all excited to go into some old episode of Gunsmoke, uh, only to figure out that the name of the main character was Matt Dillon. And from what I gathered, Matt Dillon's parents named him after the, uh, Star of the long-running Western TV show, Gunsmoke.
2: Big Western fans in the Dylan home. So <laughs> we gathered. Who was uh, his brother named after then? <laughs> well, speaking of, that's... John already talked about that. His brother is Kevin Dylan, which... He's obviously big because of Entourage. But I had yeah. never connected those dots, that they were brothers. And maybe I was just completely naive, but... Wow. Yeah. I was never obsessed with Entourage, though, so... That's probably why. I don't know. And they just sound and look so much yeah. like that.
3: Like, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. In fact, I was so nervous that
1: it was Matt Dillon that I had to go back and check the IMDB when I was starting to get ready for this episode. Because I'm, I'm not going to sound like the asshole who didn't realize Matt Dillon was an entourage. <laughs> You're not that <laughs> asshole, luckily. Instead, here I'm that asshole that thought Matt Dillon was an entourage. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, otherwise, the early days, there's not a ton out there. But what I do know is that in the middle of cutting a middle school class in 1978, he got discovered by somebody in a public library, which led to him getting cast in a role in 1979's Over the Edge, which it's not very often we run into an actor where their first major role is their first role ever. It's very rare. I mean, this maybe happened a handful of times in 78 episodes, and he's one of them. So Rigby uh, drew the uh, drew this one. Rigby, before you get going, isn't it kind of odd to anybody that
1: he cut class and went to the fucking library? I mean, <laughs> you can't
3: smoke in the library. And I, I picture Matt Dilling doing everything while smoking. I think if you saw this movie and saw his role, you would be surprised that he went to the library when he cut class.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe he was, yeah. Maybe he was just getting some study time in. You know, yeah.
3: That's all it was. Over the edge, not to be confused with the... So that's a Stallone arm wrestling movie, Over the Top. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did when I first. Over the Hedge, the 2000 <laughs> 2014 <laughs> animated film. It's, correct. it's like a switch. So, yeah, Over the Edge, uh, 1979 coming-of-age movie, as Kyle mentioned. Um, ironically, the same year that one of my favorite coming-of-age movies, Breaking Away, came out. Oh, yeah. It has a similar backdrop in the sense that it's about these kids who live in this small, community who are up to no good basically um, and in at least in breaking away they do bre- one of them at least breaks away and uh, leaves the community for better pastures. This one is just straight depressing it's about these kids who basically run this town they're kind of degenerate they hang out at the rec center they don't they mess around in school uh, they give shit to the cops they shoot BB guns at cops. Um, all that sort of escalates into um, them making being forced to uh, make the town turn against them basically, and in the end, uh, forcing forcing one of them to go to a uh, like a military style school. So uh, it's it's really really somber and really depressing just because it's not there's no hope really at all in this. Um, you're kind of waiting for the moment that the kids sort of grow up and they never do. Uh, Matt Dillon plays Richie, who is kind of the one of the bigger punks of the of the gang, I would say. Um, and he meets a uh, a very unfortunate demise; and gets shot by a cop because he makes the brilliant move of pointing a empty gun at a cop, thinking that the cop just knows it's going to be empty and not shoot at him. So, um, this movie's like a cult classic and i had never heard of it before before this podcast i actually thought that um i actually thought that uh that the outsiders was matt dylan's first role so yeah so did i shocked to learn they had a few uh few years before that Mm -hmm. uh he's good in this he is he's just a punk he's he is such a punk and he yeah he plays it well these kids back then wore like these like what do you call it like a halter top where like you're Less than a hundred pounds, just like a skinny little twerp who has nothing better to do but like mess around and like play pranks on people. Um, but for his first role, I was really impressed because he's he's good. Like you hate this, you hate this little kid. You do to the point where like when he gets shot, you're like, I'm I'm not upset about that because he had it coming to him. <laughs> he did. I mean, it's sad. It's kind of like the turning point in the movie because that's when kind of all hell breaks loose. But he definitely had it coming to him. It's like if you if you Play with fire enough, if you're going to get burned, right? So I have no sympathy for these kids who live in uh, New Grenada, Colorado, which was an interesting name for a town.
2: Yeah, man, he's just, he's just a little punk kid. It starts a trend of him playing a punk kid early in his career. Becomes a theme for him in his early roles. I think it becomes more than a theme.
1: He <laughs> <It> is, <laughs> is typecast from the jump. Mm-hmm. You wonder how much of a stretch this was from an acting range, or if this was just, hey, dude, just memorize and and, and just deliver these lines the way you would in normal world. And then after that, everybody's like, man, I love that character. Because his early characters where he's this asshole troublemaker. He's good at it. So I'm wondering how much he's actually acting.
2: He's probably being an asshole. And one of the, the casting guys, god, that kid's a little shit. And the other one's like, you know what we need for our next movie? We need a little shit. Let's see what he's doing. To Case's point, this kind of starts a trend with the roles he plays. So in 1980, he's in My Bodyguard, plays Moody, shocking, a torpy little bully. And I I had already seen this movie and I didn't realize that until I got halfway through and I saw Adam Baldwin's lanky tall ass and I was like, oh, I have seen this movie. And I, I actually really like My Bodyguard. I think it's a it's a nice little cult film
0: as well. I didn't see it. I was just laughing at the idea of watching a movie and not realizing you've seen it until halfway through because I would definitely do something
2: like that. <laughs>
3: 100%. I, I thought Kevin Costner was awesome in this movie.
2: <laughs> it's a fun movie. It's uh, Matt Dillon picks on this kid a ton and Adam Baldwin is the new kid and he's tall and lanky and kind of mysterious and he ends up essentially convincing him to be his bodyguard and it turns out Adam Baldwin's character is dealing with a bunch of trauma. It's like a normal kid, even though he seems mysterious. And its it seems to have a pretty big cult following years later. Rigby, I, too, was trying to work up a
1: uh, bodyguard joke. I appreciate that. Rest in peace, Winnie. Rest in peace.
2: Same year, he's in Little Darlings, plays Randy. So 1982, he's in Tex, plays Tex, the first. Does he have a big role in this movie? <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> nah, it's a misnomer. He's just the title character.
3: I couldn't even name another book that she wrote other than The Outsiders. So I didn't even know that Rumblefish was even a
0: book. How bad is that? Mm -hmm. Shows how dumb I am. No, you're fine. I'm a reading teacher and I didn't know that. So you're (laughs) good. (laughs)
3: Everybody knows The Outsiders. That's like the one that everyone reads in like seventh grade. So They still read it
0: in like seventh grade.
2: (laughs) Yep. 82 also did an episode of American Playhouse and then The Outsiders 1983. It's his first collab with Francis Ford Coppola one of several please again an asshole teen a bully first of a couple roles alongside Dan Lane Emilio mm-hmm. Tommy Cruz. what that's a this Twayze. is a big cast yeah the, yeah, the cast is, is Rob great. Lowe Rob Lowe
3: it like launched all their careers like think about mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I would maybe not Tom Cruise just because Tom Cruise like there's you could people say a lot of movies launched his career but like
2: And Ralph Macchio
3: Yeah Ralph Macchio definitely wouldn't have gotten karate kid without the outsiders for sure. Let me read the list so it's clean. See Thomas Howell, Matt
1: Dillman, Ralph Macchio, my number two favorite actor of all time, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, Diane Lane, Leif Garrett, Darren Dalton, Tom Waits, and then Sophia Coppola is actually in this after that. And SC e. Hinton actually plays a nurse. So
3: You oh, you forgot Matt Dillon. <laughs> yeah you said matt dillman but yeah, that's yeah did i say matt dillman <laughs> matt is great in that movie hey either way matt dillman matt
1: dillon who gives a shit
2: maybe matt dillman was in it and just disappeared from mediocrity but i will say this i had not seen this in 20 years and it was so corny it's such a corny movie
0: yeah
3: yeah it hasn't aged it's well at so all.
0: so corny, man. I didn't watch this one because I remember it from middle school, and I remembered it being corny in middle school.
2: And and Matt Dillman is at the center yeah. of the corniness of it, too. He is the one of the corniest characters. In the movie, he's top billed. If you
1: talk to enough people, I think a lot of people would say that they feel like this is a classic. Mm-hmm.
4: Probably more so for the careers that it that it inspired, less so for the actual mm-hmm. movie itself. Yeah, I mean, you look at that. You, it's 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 the Agreed. It's the Hayden Fry of movies where it's like, sure, the Hay- Hayden Fry is not a very good coach, but look at all the people that he look at all the careers that he launched.
0: You know, it's also it would also be considered a classic because like everyone was forced to interact yeah. with it. So you just <laughs> yeah, think you think of it as a classic because you were like, oh, in seventh grade, I read this book. Yeah. Like, oh, must be a classic
1: that's hilarious. Yeah, I hadn't watched this in a long time. I learned three things about this movie. Number one, Carmen Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's dad, did the music for it, and I was excited because the first song you hear is Van Morrison. You guys know I'm a sucker for Van Morrison Mm -hmm. uh, music in movies, and it's Gloria, which is one of my favorite Van Morrison songs. And I'm all excited because I'm like, "There's gonna be more." There was more Van Morrison in, in the movie, and it was "Gloria" every single time,
3: <laughs> <laughs> which is a great song. So there could be it's worse. a great song, but it made me laugh because I'm like, "There could be worse songs to hear over and over." Like, oh fuck! I love "Gloria." This song's great. Wait, I've heard this two other times.
1: And then the other thing was, Matt Dillon uses the phrase uh, "Give me a cancer stick," and I was shocked to learn in the 1960s cancer stick was slang for cigarettes wow i would have thought that had come much later yeah me too that sounds like some like uh some 80s prop
4: 80s like uh scientific propaganda right there
3: (laughs) yeah because what year did the because 64 i think was the year that the big study came out that said that they like linked it to cancer so Mm -hmm. i don't know why i know that but i do
2: i surprised cigarettes aren't good for you i know you're shocked
3: (laughs) yeah Doctors used to prescribe cigarettes when your voice hurt. I love that. That's like one of my favorite. (laughs) That's like one of my favorite uh, things to know. That's awesome. Same
2: year, Another Francis Ford Coppola movie. Rumblefish plays Rusty. Another Diane Lane crossover.
3: And a dud, huh? I love Diane Lane.
2: I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I did watch a clip where they talk about like the, the dream scene where he's like flying over the top of the town and... Some of like the rig they had to build for it, but I, I've never seen Rumblefish. It's got high ratings, so
1: I was disappointed to miss it as well because I've heard multiple people talk about first thing they talk about with Rumblefish is oh yeah, Matt Dillon's in that or Dillman, however you want to look at it.
2: <laughs> he's good, it's Dillon. If he's bad, it's a Dillman performance. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: but... for it's got
2: Mickey Rourke, Dennis Hopper, Nicholas Cage is in it, Chris Penn, Lawrence Fishburne. I'm Tom Waits. I, I need to watch it that's a pretty ridiculous cast.
1: That means it's also back-to-back movies with Tom Waits.
2: Yep. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Important to note. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we're here for, kids. That's what we bring. Speaking of kids, the Flamingo kid, he plays Jeffrey, 1984. Got nothing there. I don't know this one at all. I've never seen it. It's another one. Well, you can't even find it right now. But it's one of those movies where you hope it's not a review because it just says search on Amazon for Blu-ray and DVD. Oh, shit. So, like, the only way you're watching this is asking your, your cousin Frank if he's got a DVD closet or a, an old VHS closet from, from the, the 80s, that's the only way you're watching. And
1: one of my only few competitors from my heart for uh, Diane
3: Lane, Marissa Tomei, is in this. Uh, I love her as well. I just, I'm just i reading now that it was her uh, big screen debut. Oh, Gary Marshall directed it, too?
2: Leon's in it. Oh, wow. My boy.
1: Hector yeah. Elizondo. This Yeah, I wish I'd have Richard seen this. Richard Krenna? Richard Krenna
2: too? Damn. Another movie with really good ratings from the 80s there. See, he's in some bangers. Seventy-five, eighty 80 in the split. Mm-hmm. I started watching Target um, from 1985. He plays Chris derek alongside Gene Hackman. I didn't get time to finish it, but I liked what I saw. Again, another movie in the mid-'80s there with some other big actors. So you wouldn't
1: classify this as one of your DNFs? Not by choice, just okay due to
2: time, unfortunately. That's important to know. Yeah, Sunlay Jr. was a, a DNF. <laughs> because i don't want to spend more time on it but we'll get to there i'm not going to take away john's thunder on that one
4: target was directed by arthur penn most notably known for probably directing bonnie and clyde and a bunch of other
2: weird classic movies Mm -hmm. available on youtube Time of recording people want to try to check it out and then a few other notes 1986 he played jan in native son a book that i read in, in my undergraduate anthropology class one of my anthropology classes in undergraduate again i didn't get around to watching it but Book that I read years ago. Then I was like, "Oh, that's fun." That's right. I read the book, baby. Yeah, you knew how it ended. The movie's going to be worse than the books. So you don't. Re- you don't watch them. <laughs> and then, uh, and finally, I'm sad that James isn't here because we know he's a noted gambler, for good or for bad. Yeah. And I was really interested to hear his take on the Big Town from 1987, a movie that taught the world about craps. I know John watched.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll happily take James' place as the degenerate gambler of the group. <laughs> This yeah, this movie's this movie's not very good, um, but it is uh, a sort of nice look at the sort of smoke filled, you know, places on the margins of these uh, crummy gambling towns. Um, He plays a hotshot dice roller who tries to move to a move to Chicago to make it big as a professional craps dealer or craps player. Um, Cast is wonderful. Has Tommy Lee Jones as the villain. Bruce Dern is a blind man which is kind of fun. Um, and it's adapted from a title that I love a book in 1967 and it's just called the arm, which I think is fantastic for, uh, for a craps reference. So check it out. It's on Amazon prime. Yep. So it's easy to find. Mm -hmm.
2: And another Diane lane crossover. This man is the entire fucking decade working with this woman. And I am jealous.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say son of a bitch. He gets Diane Lane in the eighties, and Catherine and uh, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, yeah, yeah.
2: Nineteen eighty nine is going to bring us highest critic score, which is Drugstore Cowboy, a movie that normally, when you find a movie this prevalent, like streaming everywhere, it usually means it's normally not very good. But this movie has incredibly high ratings. In case has it ninety seven eighty five. Man, that's that's probably the highest
1: critic rank I've I've ever had to cover. Drugstore Cowboy is a eighty nine American crime drug-based drama directed by Gus Van Sant. It's got a really small but talented cast. Matt Dillon, obviously, our, our Man of the Hours, the, the main star. One of my favorites, Kelly Lynch, is in this. Possibly one of the first roles by Heather Graham. She's also in this. And uh, I didn't know this, but this movie was based on an autobiographical novel by James Fogel, who actually hadn't published his novel before this film was made, but then published it around the time that it was after he got out of prison. But the movie follows Bob Hughes, who's played by Matt Dillon. At the beginning of the movie, Matt Dillon runs a, a heist crew and their specialty, pharmaceutical drugs. They're going around and they're hitting different pharmacies. Dillon's character has a change of heart when... Heather Graham's character overdoses, and she dies, and, and there's these these great things about hexels, and, and it's really interesting. And one of them I'd never heard before. I never heard it was bad luck to throw your hat on a bed. <laughs> so then after she dies, he decides he's going to clean up. The rest of the gang stays together, and they move on, and he moves back to uh, Portland, Oregon. I don't know if it was a halfway house. Gets clean on a, at a methadone clinic. Gets a job, and the movie kind of goes from there. The whole time I was watching this, I was trying to figure out what the critics loved about it. I do think it is a pretty well-told story. Does probably address what a lot of people in in recovery go through as they try to clean up and and turn over their lives. And there's a really touching scene when Kelly Lynch, who plays his girlfriend, comes to see him while he's clean, and she brings him drugs, and, and he's... He's kind of going on about, man, my, my life is great. I love my apartment, and it's a shit apartment. He's like, I love my job. It's a shit job. He's like, you know, it's not really all that boring, you know? And, you know, you hear a lot of people in recovery, you know, pink cloud or whatever, they talk about they talk about that. And he was kind of living that. and So I don't know if it was the recovery angle that he was going through that that critics really loved or if it was the way the movie was shot. It, it did feel like... The movie was shot very hectically and, and had kind of a frantic feel to it at the beginning. Um, and at the end. when he was clean, it seemed like the movie was a little bit more under control. So maybe there were some things that, uh, that really stood out to film critics. I did like this movie. Actually, this was the first time I'd ever watched it. When this movie came out, I was 13. And uh, my parents probably thought it best I didn't watch a movie that centered on a main character who gets sober at a methadone clinic. So kudos to my parents.
3: I thought I thought Matt Dillon, I think Matt Dillon is awesome in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite performance of his for sure. Mm. I don't think I ever knew that this was Gus Van Sant's, um, his second movie. Okay. I I, th- I knew he did some stuff in the eighties, but I thought he did more than Malanoche, which was his first one. And then
0: Drugstore Cowboy, which was the second one. I found that interesting. I thought Matt Dillon was really good in this also. It's probably, it's not my favorite performance from him, but it's it ranks pretty high up there this falls in line with the theme of events of my experience with matt Dillon. he was good i didn't care for the movie very much okay so i spent a lot of time trying to figure out what critics liked about this movie also that scene with kelly lynch is probably the best scene in the movie that was my favorite scene Mm -hmm. because it did touch a lot of things on there Mm -hmm. uh the rest of it i felt to be like okay at best I thought the ending is pretty bad.
1: The ending made me have a dislike for all the procedural TV shows that we deal with, because I miss the fact that in movies we used to be told that a, a cop could come up and interrogate somebody who was dying on a gurney going into an ambulance.
0: It's just such a wild thing, too. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, hey, how's he doing? He goes, eh. Alright, let me talk to him for a minute. What? He did. I didn't love it. Uh, I like Gus Van Sant, but I didn't, this one just didn't really work for me. So I was hoping that you guys would be able to provide some clarity on this also. I don't think it's like bad or terrible. I just didn't, this was like a highly rated one. I was really looking forward to this one and it just didn't really come through for me.
1: And I even thought the initial scene where they, uh, their, their first heist, well, the first heist we see them at, at, the, uh, pharmacy. I thought that was, I thought that was entertaining and well done. I, I enjoyed that scene. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. That's a good one too.
2: It was Heather Graham's sixth thrill case. Sixth role? Holy sixth shit. Role. And I don't think many of them before were very big, so this probably would fall under her first major role as well.
1: Well, when we cover Heather Graham, I'll watch it again.
2: There you go. Maybe you'll have a different take. 1991, he plays Jonathan in A Kiss Before Dying. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I did see like a YouTube still that talked about the kill count in this movie. It's like 10 minutes long showcasing all the kills in this film, so I'm kind of sad I didn't watch it. It's more than Commando. No, there's no, no chance. Per capita, that film's yeah.
0: lit. And so it sounds like a Bond title. It does. It's before dying, it? yeah,
2: sure does. <laughs> I know we kind of we've skipped ahead a few years here, but I think what's important to note that I didn't mention before, you know, in those first couple roles, so My Bodyguard, uh, The Outsiders, um, Over the Edge, he's he's that little bratty punk. And then really by like nineteen eighty-four, he's the leading man. Mm-hmm. So five years into his career, pretty much every role we're talking about, he's a, he's the lead of every one of these projects. He is the top build showcase, which is interesting. It doesn't mean the movies are great, but it means he he's the main feature in most of them.
1: But he's still playing a similar role. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. still kind of, still kind of an. Act.
1: Well, I guess in Drugstore Cowboy, the first the first half he's kind of social outlier, and in the second half he's he's probably more of a. Sympathetic hero character.
2: There's more of a turn, yeah, film than the other ones I watched from that time. Um, over the next couple of years, there I've got Singles in 1992 plays Cliff.
4: Yeah, I've I've never seen Singles, and I'm a huge Cameron Crowe fan. It's like the one glaring Cameron Crowe mission, but I know it's it's a huge cult favorite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm gonna go on a limb and say he played a dickhead boyfriend. <laughs> I do not know that to be a fact. I'm just guessing.
2: Mm. Strong guess, possible. How about the scene of Fort Washington he played Matthew? You think Dickhead Boyfriend in that one too? Dickhead Priest.
3: The plot of the movie is Danny Glover is homeless and 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 Matthew Dylan, Dillon, Matt Dillon's also homeless and they like try to survive together on the streets. Mm-hmm. But apparently
2: his performance is really good. I've never seen it though. Yeah, it's an 8087 mm-hmm. critics audiences. This is one again I wanted to watch, but I don't it's not streaming anywhere. So it's hard to find unfortunately. You guys, this movie was uh
1: budgeted for 4 million and pulled in a cool 44,000. You
3: cannot blame that on streaming, like you could now And no wonder it's impossible to find
2: Yeah but high ratings for the for the 17 people who saw it apparently They loved it so you know <laughs> If only the distribution was a little bit better Back then we would have watched it If it was if at least somebody would have If it was streaming free somewhere Oh shit I'm
1: sorry you guys I looked at the wrong movie I looked at wow. Bloodhounds of Broadway Wait where do you dickhead
4: Don't worry, Craig. You're only like sixty thousand off. So uh,
1: (laughs) this movie was budgeted for ten million and made one hundred
2: thirty four thousand. So it's the same (laughs) conversion rate. Oh, nothing changed. I take it back. I just wanted to be factual. You know, that's what the people come for. Case they want to hear facts from you. Straight facts, baby. Mm -hmm. And then we got our like almost customary Madonna reference. If we're talking about somebody who worked in the eighties and nineties, and that's Madonna's "Bad Girl" music video. He plays a detective in ninety three. Fun facts.
3: Got handcuffed and uh, poured candle wax on him like our boy Bill
2: DeFoe. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky best. Okay, well, it's going to take us to lowest critic score. So we had some high high notes here, and then we're going straight to Golden Gate. So we're going to the West Coast out there, and uh, Aubrey, I guess, is going to get on the bus and head to the Golden Gate to talk about Agent Walker in
0: 1994. I don't want to be on this bus or this trip. <laughs> so, this is a 1993 movie directed by John Madden. <laughs> Not that John Madden, ah. but uh, the one that directed boom, Shakespeare in Love and Ms. Sloan, amongst other things. So, like a good filmmaker, he directed this movie. Yeah. Uh, Matt Dillon stars as a, a young or a brash 22 year old FBI agent who essentially frames this Chinese laundry man as a communist. And puts him in prison for 10 years and then after that after losing his girlfriend by doing that for being immoral he decides 10 years later that he wants to make amends with that man who has kind of lost his mind a bit um and make amends with his daughter so i'm just gonna spoil this the chinese guy kills himself matt Dillon then Proceeds to try to console and make amends with his daughter. He ends up starting a relationship with her, as I'm sure her father would have wanted. She finds out their relationship ends. It jumps six years in the future. He randomly gets assigned to some case that she's involved with again. This movie's terrible. It's it's bad. Like I've seen worse movies. It's not like offensively bad or like a bad that like makes you angry. It's just not good. (laughs) It's really not good in any kind of way. Matt Dillon is, he's doing the best he can. It's probably the best way I'd put it. Uh, There's a lot of melodrama. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of just like people acting and talking in ways that don't make any sense. Um, There's like a heavy ancient, ancient Chinese like lore and proverb theme underneath this. There may be some mystical elements in which Dylan may or may not have been Ooh. inhibited by this dead Chinese guy, like, spirit. I don't know. It's like Chucky
2: w- without the voodoo.
0: Maybe. I don't know. It feels like it, that's what it's alluding to. But he also had sex with his, his daughter. So then that's weird. I don't know.
2: I thought you were going to say he had sex with the ghosts like in uh, MacGruber. You know, honestly,
0: it would have made this movie better because other than like it being really bad from like a melodramatic standpoint, this movie's biggest sin is that it's just there's nothing happening. It jumps 16 years. Nothing really happens. (laughs) He's an FBI agent, but they're trying to find communists. So like, but not well. So, like most of the movies, just them talking about finding communists, and it's like, "Hey, we're not good at finding communists." It's 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 a bizarre movie. It's weird. It's not great. Uh, it's not even something I would say watch because Matt Dillon's in it. This is completely forgettable.
2: As a pass, yeah. Where do you fall in the uh, the gap of zero for critics and seven for audiences?
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: how about the would you follow the average of a 3.5
0: no i'd push it to the four because you got to save room for things that are worse round up round up i've seen movies that Mm. made me like actually angry this one is just like i'll just forget i'd ever seen it hopefully i wanted to join you in this one aubrey but i just
2: couldn't find time for it with my work schedule
0: I'm, I'm happy for you, though. I'm glad that I can take this one for everybody. I
2: like to stand in solidarity with whoever has lowest critic score normally. i like to join you so you don't feel like we're punishing you.
1: <laughs> for those that haven't read any of Aubrey's reviews, this is how you know he's a talented reviewer. Over halfway into his review, the movie he was describing made me feel like it was similar to Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> I was very interested in it. And then he lost me when he said they went 16 years and didn't do anything. I'm like, ah, shit, it's over.
2: Uh, he's in 1995's To Die For. He plays Larry. Always remember this still of Nicole Kidman on the cover.
3: Another Gus Van Sant movie. This movie's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. <laughs> and Nicole Nicole Kidman's really good in it. I saw this one. And Nicole Kidman plays this, like, wannabe, like, celebrity news anchor woman who like does will do anything for her career to ascend basically yeah it's it's strange very
2: dan he- strange dan hedaya is in it too
3: yep yep
1: like rigby's talking about she's this very popular and ambitious weather lady if i remember right and i think she seduces matt dylan and tries to get
3: him to kill somebody no, Matt Dillon plays her husband, yeah. Who she wants okay. she wants to have him kill because she thinks that he's like holding her back on. It, no,
0: it's on much a, better. She seduces the young Joaquin Phoenix, a teenager, to there you correct. go. Kill Matt Dillon. I kind of like this movie though. Like I was here for what it was doing, and part of it is because Nicole Kidman is really good. Yes, like she's all in, and this movie is crazy, and she goes all the way. Like I just I was kind of here for it. Like this was to me like Gus Van Sant being creative being funny being like quirky it's it's a black comedy so it's dark Uh and you're laughing at stuff that you probably shouldn't be laughing at
1: in the mid 90s she probably could have got somebody to kill somebody for she was (laughs) ridiculously
3: popular and powerful that's a fact i would have killed somebody for her in uh batman forever that's for sure
2: Uh (laughs) after her amc spot she could get all the gays to kill for today Mm. (laughs) also a fact well, he capitalizes on his fame in the '90s there and uh, starts dating Cameron Diaz. '95 to '98, they dated
3: four years. We've all talked about our love for Cameron Diaz in the Mask. So that that this was like prime Cameron Diaz years. So good for Maddie. Yeah,
2: stepping in same year he's uh, he does a movie with Gabe Byrne, our boy Warren's favorite, Frankie Starlight played Terry. Ninety-six, he played Tommy Birdman in Beautiful Girls, a, a movie that where Timothy Hutton goes home and Matt Dillon plays his like playboy friend who uh, is kind of a player. And this is a huge cast. I didn't mind Beautiful Girls, and it was quaint. Was Sweet Caroline
1: popular before this? Sweet Caroline and the strange relationship Hutton has with. What's her name? Natalie Portman are the only two things I can remember about from this movie.
2: Natalie Portman plays the the like thirteen year old next door who like falls in love with him and he's like nah, <laughs> dog like yeah I'm old. What are you doing? This might have been her first role.
1: I also remember that big bar scene where they're singing along to
2: Sweet Caroline and yeah mm-hmm. I had never seen that before. No, Leon was her first role. Yeah, and then she was in Heat. She was in then Heat she too. Was in, yeah, I Heat, thought, Heat, yeah. and then Beautiful Girls. So this is very.
3: I started this movie like two years ago i want to say and didn't get through like the first like half hour just it was it was weird it was like slow moving or something i can't remember my problem with it but
2: it's a mood movie is the best way i put it like you got to be in the right mood for this kind of story yeah it's like guy comes back to his hometown and runs into a quirky cast of characters yep it's it's fun to see like uma thurman's in this Mir servino portman michael rapaport noah emmerich rosie o'donnell Mm mm-hmm yeah,
3: the
1: good, Just got the good. a huge cast. David Arquette. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. It's got a huge cast.
1: Yep. So, before we move on, the movie was inspired by the experiences of a screenwriter Scott Rosenberg, who went to his hometown of Needham, Massachusetts during what he claimed was the "quote unquote worst winter" for his hometown while he was waiting to see if his script for Con Air was going to get produced. That's sick. That's badass, right? So, the guy that wrote this, the same guy that wrote Con Air, And according to the IMDb trivia page, the scene where the cast breaks into a rendition of Sweet Caroline is fictitious. This is the first time it happened because the tradition at Boston Red Sox games didn't start until 1997. The film's tagline is, Good times never seem so good is taken from this song. And this might be. So this is the reason uh, Sweet Caroline
2: might be the reason. Yeah, I really hate it. (laughs) I'm telling you, beautiful girls, man. Pop culture staple, Rigby. 1997, he, he's an In and Out, plays Cameron.
0: I watched this for the first time.
2: I wanted to watch it. I was it.
0: kind of excited to watch this one.
2: Kevin Klein, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've just always seen and heard really good things about it. It's a good movie. It's fun. I think it's a good movie. It's fun. Kevin Klein is great. Uh, Matt Dillon's only in it for a little bit, uh, and his character's kind of weird. Uh, I think this movie would be a lot better if it doesn't completely screw over John Cusack's character. Which is is odd how they kind of go about doing that, but the movie I think is pretty good. I like, guess a good fun time that kind of messed me up.
2: She got an Oscar nomination for her role. It's the Only Oscar nomination for the movie.
0: Yeah, the Academy did her better than the movie did.
4: This is also ca- kind of a precursor to *Tropic Thunder*, and there's a fake movie within side of a movie. Ooh! <laughs> if I remember correctly, <laughs> Matt Dillon plays a gay soldier in a war movie called *To* protect and serve, <laughs> which, is mm-hmm. which is like kind of a precursor to Satan's alley from, uh, I've been a bad, bad
0: boy. Yeah. <laughs> he's at the Oscars and they show it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a long, it's like a, it's like a couple minutes. But like, he's yeah. like, yeah, he's in this, he's in this award. He's in this movie and they show it for like two minutes. That movie,
4: in the way it like skews, Small Midwestern life, but also like Hollywood is pretty is pretty good.
2: Well, let's get into the biggest year of his career, 1998. When you think of Matt Dillman, these are the two movies that most people think of. First, a movie we talked about in the Nev Campbell episode, Wild Things, plays Sam. A movie that's much more than steamy sex scenes is actually a pretty good thriller.
3: Agreed. Yeah, yeah. This is what this is what Fifty Shades of Grey wants to be. This movie's really fun.
0: Yeah, I rewatched this for the first time in a while and. That was my takeaway. It was like this is, this is like good. Like this is, it's a fun like good time. Yeah, and it's much more than just what everyone knows it for. Mm-hmm.
2: It's so twisty and turny at the end. Like it just yeah,
0: almost to the point where you kind of forget about it. Drag's a little at the end, but it's really good.
4: And it's like Nev Campbell right after Scream and Denise Richards right before Charlie Sheen. So it's like two <laughs> <Dude>, weeks <spot. laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: They're in their prime. One of one of several um, movies where he's in a sex scene with a blonde haired actress who's quite lovely. And the Naomi Watts in Sunlight Junior. Yeah, that that's that that was worth watching half of the movie for. I will say that that was nice. Yeah,
0: we'll get to that. Two teases for Sunlight Junior.
2: We haven't talked about Dillman's role in this. I think Dillman's pretty good in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I think he does a good job kind of in the middle of this. It works because of him.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure
2: him credit
1: he's doing all the heavy lifting he's a good cast for this because he can just play that asshole on call so well and it it's kind of what you're expecting to see out of him yeah it's kind of comforting to see him play that role i was
4: gonna say this kind of reminds me of another steamy florida movie where it's kind of the same genre of like the guy who you know thinks Thinks he has everything under control, but really his his dick is thinking more than his head. And the, there's women kind of working behind the scenes to make his life a living hell. It's kind of like Body Heat. Yeah, um, you're
2: referencing Willie Hurt.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yep. Oh, yeah.
4: And I love those movies where where a guy thinks he's, you know, this this guy thinks that he's going to be able to work these vulnerable women, but really they're the ones who are kind of working to him. Really,
0: really, really fun fun uh, setup. Also, I'm obligated to say, not a great depiction of Florida. No, no, no this is not. That's not what it's like.
4: Well, sunlight Junior is not going to help much either. Then,
0: so sorry. <laughs> uh, well, sunlight Junior is a little more accurate. <laughs> yeah, true. But we'll just drop that as a third tease for sunlight Junior. We'll yeah, get later. Yeah.
1: We are building this movie up. Kevin Bacon's also great in this movie. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's wonderful. And he's a
2: producer. And Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot Bill Murray. There's two people that come out unscathed in this, and Bill Murray is one of the 2 mm-hmm. Solid flick. And then he's so he goes from like the the twisty thriller to the iconic comedy. And there's something about Mary plays Pat alongside two other months since we've covered Cameron Diaz and Keith David. He's got the beans about the front. Goofy
3: bastards are about the only thing that got going for me in this. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
4: Fargo. I guess technically could be a comedy, and that's my favorite movie. But, but in terms of just laugh out loud, straight raunchy comedy, it's it's this, and then a whole lot of space, and then maybe Blazing Saddles. I mean this this is the wow. This is the funniest I know every single note of this movie. I cannot. It's sad because I love this movie. I can't watch this movie with people because it pisses them off so much. Because I literally just <laughs> say every single line. Probably the movie I quote the most. I think it's Matt Dillon's best role. I think the I think it was written for him. I find it fascinating that Ben Stiller's really the lead character in this, but he gets third billing after Cameron Diaz and Matt Dillon because I think that just speaks to how much they dominate their their performances. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many throwaway lines that he says that I literally say every day. The line when Ben Stiller's in his office for the first time and he's telling him about Mary and says what he wants to hire him for. And Matt Dillon just says, totally deadpan. That's cute. I don't buy it, but uh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I literally say that every day. Like, no context. Just, <laughs> just fucking say that to people every day. They have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm always quoting their something about Mary.
1: This movie is perfect for him because everything that he's doing in this movie is just it's in his it is in his wheelhouse. He's yeah, perfect we, for this movie.
3: We talked about his being typecast as just like a punk. This is like a punk, a scumbag, a sexual predator all rolled into yeah. one. It's like it's fantastic. And he plays it so just such a creep really well. Yeah. My favorite Matt Dillon scene is when he comes back from Florida after <laughs> you're <Yeah. laughs> seeing mary and he tries to he lies to ted and tries to convince her that he's uh that she's a mail-order bride from japan <laughs> oh so she's about a deuce deuce and a half not bad yeah he's he's fantastic man.
2: hey he was so good he won the mtv award for best villain that year for his role hey yeah and he
3: should have won it for two or three years because of this movie and like the slap, like not only the the just the regular comedy but like the slapstick like the scene where with the dog where he's trying to like electrocute him back like that's just such brilliant comedy yeah is
1: this his first like real comedy yeah that's what i was thinking too
4: cuz like to die for is more of like a black comedy satire and then i feel like all the other stuff is just either like mm-hmm. noir thriller you know drama yeah yeah I think it's the one where he, he really is like maybe in and out, in and out, in and, out's a comedy, oh,
2: yeah, and out to comedy, but he's barely Yeah, he's got some comedic notes in Beautiful Girls too, but it's not a pure comedy. Yeah, I think his comedic notes in there
1: are like he's a dipshit, and I think here it's like like Rigby's saying it's he's having to do genuine, true comedy. Well, that's that's a great point. I, I had never thought about that until now.
2: Well, the Willennium hits. Couple years later, and his the first movie that he does after the Millennium is One Night at McCool's. Plays Randy. Hell is this movie? I didn't even look it up. What is this shit? <laughs> I just love the name.
3: Yeah, I remember. I, I remember this name of this, but I can't really remember what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Liv Liv
4: Tyler. Liv Tyler's like a femme fatale, and and
3: Michael Douglas is in it. John
4: Goodman, uh, Matt Dillon. I forget who the other. Paul Reiser. Yeah. And-
2: yeah, it seems like a cool cast. Richard Jenkins is in it. Reba yeah. McIntyre. It's got a good cast. Shit title. That's going to lead to uh, largest audience gap, which is Deuces Wild, which is I think the reason that James didn't want to join tonight, because he was originally assigned this, <laughs> and then it was dumped in my lap. Totally understand. Steve Endorf.
3: <laughs> Steve Endorf. Steve
1: Endorf. Did he mistakenly think that this had something to do with uh, Aces Wild from Casino? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, well... This movie, it it's a perfect fit for me having to cover it because I had diarrhea for the last two days at the program oh, I ran. Shit. So, so oh, I shit. was running Deuces Wild left and right uh, when I was in Fort Wayne. The gap is huge. 51 audience, 3 for critics. So not only is it a huge gap, it's also a drastic gap with critics absolutely despising this movie. And let me tell you, they're right. So uh, this movie took all the best parts of West Side Story and left it out of the screenplay.
0: Yep. <laughs> exactly what it
2: is. So, uh what what <laughs> what deuces wild is, it features a not so friendly gang dispute between Steven Dorf and Norman reedus Uh also not the first time Norman reedus is going to come up with one of our major reviews. We'll see that one soon. Another teaser for Sunlight Junior. Hit it with the fourth one here, boys. It also features Brad Renfro, the guy that I had no idea was dead the last time we talked about him. Um <laughs> and also Frankie Muniz and James Franco is in this movie as well. Deuce's Wild and The Water Boy, two movies with the main character cream their pants over Vicky Valancourt. Uh, that's a, a parallel I drew. This movie, aka For um Dylan plays Fritzy, who basically is like the neighborhood's gangster version of Sonny from A Bronx Tale, except on screen much much less and not nearly as complex or cool as a character and uh, he runs the show and apparently you're supposed to like be super afraid of and intimidated by him and you don't buy that one bit hes he's just they never build up his character enough to like give a shit about him it's not convincing at all not it's not that the performance is bad it's just you're supposed to fear him and there's really nothing to fear it's a thoroughly lackluster movie because he's not in it much I don't really want to spend more time explaining it but the dialogue and acting are pretty rough, especially when Renfro and Balk are on, uh, on screen. Their interactions are so awkwardly manufactured, it hurts to watch. Um, so I agree with the critics. A, th- a three out of a hundred is a little bit harsh. I, it's not that bad. It's probably in like the 20s at best. Out of, I don't know. It's hard to give a, a movie a three. There's st- still a labor of love with that, but I would not give it higher than like a 25.
4: Do you know who bankrolled this movie but but, uh, eventually took his name off the final credits?
2: No, but am I going to hate it more? Yeah. Yeah. What? Who? Martin Martin Scorsese. I'm sure he saw the final cut and was like, Yeah, hard pass, dog. 100%. I've never heard anything that made more sense in my life, John.
0: To me, somebody watched this movie and was like, They watched West Side Story. They're like, I don't understand why all these people love this movie. Let me fix it. (laughs) And then put all of the stuff that was. That's just bad. This movie makes no sense. It was a tough watch. I'm here for the labor of love. Like y'all tried your hardest, and you deserve credit. And you're right, but this is bad. This is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. And like Norman Reedus is like exceptionally bad. Like it was. It's bizarre how bad he is in this.
2: Boondock Saints was probably what right before this or right after this. Before. Before it was right before this, right? Boondock Saints, I think it was 99. Yeah, I think Boondock Saints was 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's riding the coattails of that.
0: If you told me this was a parody of, like, West Side Story, I would believe it. Like, it wouldn't become a... It would have worked way better. It becomes a better movie.
2: Yep. Yep. I've been because it's self-aware, but this is the farthest. So anyways, I think that's all we should spend our time talking about with Deuces Wild. We should move on to maybe some better roles. To 2002's City of Ghosts. This is To John's point, this was outside of Oz, that one episode. This was Matt Dillon's writing-slash-directing debut of a feature film. It's a movie about a guy who gets in some hot water, trying to track down some money, goes to Cambodia, and then runs into some more trouble when he's in Cambodia with some sketchy figures. And it was interesting to watch, knowing he directed it and wrote it. Because it has some, I'll say he's trying some things, especially with his cinematography work. His cinematographer is doing some interesting things here. His work off the screen. I mean, this movie has decent ratings. It's in the fifties. It's not terrible, right? It's moody. I was reading some of the reviews. Like it, it, it premiered at Sundance. He must like Terrence Malick because there's so many fucking zoom in shots of people's faces in this movie. If you watch, especially if you watch the trailer, like almost every shot is like right here on someone's face seems to be his style as a director so but 2004 he becomes an oscar nominated performer for his role as officer ryan in crash uh, a role that got him golden globe sag and oscar noms for best supporting actor alongside keith david who's in this movie for one scene i believe
0: <laughs> one bad scene
2: one scene oh i should have done the ludicrous fast
4: and the furious crossover because ludicrous is also in this too
3: yes he is yeah. Oh, crash! What a turn! We've, we've done we've done ludicrous a lot for uh for Fast and Furious trivia. I feel like so Crash. I mean, we all know how we feel about it. I don't. I I think Matt Dillon's actually really good in this.
0: Mm-hmm. He is.
3: He plays the hated character in the movie, who has a uh, character turn. I should say he becomes like the good guy in the end. So
4: history has proven that if you start out a movie playing a racist cop who's then redeemed. You're probably going to get an Oscar nomination out of it, <laughs> Doctor Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, Rod Steiger in the Heat of the Night. He won. I guess. I guess Rockwell won. So Matt Dillon didn't win, but it's pretty much a lock if you're a if you're a racist cop who then ha- is like saved by the end of the movie.
0: Yep. This this movie gets worse and worse every time I watch it.
4: I remember in high school, like you know, like a sophomore in high school watching this and. Roger Ebert was blown away by this movie. He named it the, fa- he named it his favorite movie of 2005 uh-huh. said it was deserving of the win. Um, and I think I was just kind of swayed by that. But then especially after living in Los Angeles for six years, it's this is this, this movie is every rich Angelino's wet dream about itself. Like how, how, you know, they're interconnected uh, eventually at the end of the day to, to all their, Citizens in the city, but they all end up hating each other. Like it's just, it's just such a phony uh, realization of what, of what those people want to be.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's not an indictment on the performances. I think they're good individual performances no. in the film. Mm-hmm. It's just sure. the writing. Like Fandui Newton, I her interactions. I think are she's so good in this movie. But yeah, but like it's just the construction of the story. And
0: Matt Dillon is really good. But well, yeah. yeah. His character is one of my biggest problems with this movie. Yeah. It's because he is like, he's painted to be like, yeah, redeemed and a hero. Yeah. And for no reason am I supposed to think that he's a hero. He did
2: his job one time for
3: saving someone out of a burning car. He's a, uh, he's a, he's a redeemed. While while
0: yelling at her, (laughs) he's (laughs) yelling at her for having what, like, I get it you know her reaction is making it harder for him to save her life but it seems like a really reasonable reaction to him showing up in that moment yeah it's it's bizarre like it's it's a strange movie
2: she she's like you had two in the pink and one in the stink last night and i'm um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean like this is bad for real crash will never get its redemption on this podcast
4: Michael Peña. If we could say one good thing about Crash, yes. Michael Peña in this. Michael Peña is really good in it.
2: He's yeah, really I agree. I agree. He's in Employee of the Month, not the Dane Cook version, uh, but a movie with Christina Applegate, Steve Zahn. It's a twisty bank thriller movie. I'd watch it for the Applegate episode. I I like Employee of the Month. I think it's it's got a fun ending. I I enjoy it. I remember this movie.
4: Well, I watched it once in high school. I was maybe a freshman or sophomore. And I remember, there's like twists every like five minutes.
2: Oh, and the, the the last five minutes is nuts. Yeah, it's going left and right, left and right, and uh, it 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 has twists similar to Wild Things in some way in terms of how they go about it. So it's it's a similar plot. Yeah, but it's fun. Steve uh, Steve Zahn is right in his bag. Is like the buddy, the guy who's high energy, sassy, sarcastic guy who. Basically makes a living by stealing like jewelry from dead bodies (laughs) through his corner friend, which is a really dark way to make a living. But here we are. Herbie fully loaded, plays Trip in 2005, goes to the Lindsay Lohan Disney side there. That's a departure, I guess, from the work he was doing before.
0: He's wild in that. So I watched this because this is like one of the only movies I could put on with my son also in the room. I could like be a member of the family while still doing this. It's not like a bad family movie, but I just, I hated it. And he's like on a thousand as like this professional race car driver that gets beat in a race by Lindsay Lohan and then tries to like redeem himself by racing everyone. And Lindsay Lohan, it's weird. He's going after it.
2: He doesn't like losing to Ricky Booby. <laughs> so like I guess really around the mid 2000s, he starts turning into these like more like popcorn roles. So he does Herbie Fully Loaded, and then You Me and Dupree plays Carl, just a very angry husband the whole time in a movie with Owen Wilson, who's borderline ruining his marriage. Yeah, I don't mind You Me and Dupree. It's okay. It's okay.
3: I will, I'll agree with you there. It's okay. Seth Rogens. Seth Rogens in it is one of his earlier roles too.
2: 2007 appears in The Simpsons. Character is the Midnight Towboy. so uh, I think a little bit of a throwback here to maybe some drugstore cowboy action. And then um, has a crossover with Golden Globe slash Critics Choice winner for Black Panther, um, Angela Bassett in Nothing But the Truth, a movie with Kate Beckinsale, a kind of a political thriller type film. Decent film. I didn't rewatch it for this, but I watched it for the Angela Bassett episode and liked it. Um, Modern Family, an episode of that in 2011, and then Girl Most Likely, the movie Craig mentioned earlier, plays the Boosh, alongside Natasha Lyonne. And that's going to take us to our last review, which is the film we've been teasing all episode. John Rigby was given the option to switch out from Sunlight Jr. He said, I'll cover Sunlight Jr. (laughs) Which, in its largest critic app.
0: His most important film.
2: Seminal work. I'd love to hear about it. I should have
4: after watching it. I should have done uh, "There's Something About Mary" for the 300th time, but uh, here we are. Um, so, yeah this this is a movie uh, where Matt Dillon and Naomi Watts play a married couple, um, sort of on the fringes of very, very far fringes of uh, poor and working class life in Florida. I, I wasn't crazy about this movie. I, I, you know, you can't really call this a Hollywood movie because it is a very small independent. Um, movie, but well, American films, I should say, just like never do a really good job of portraying, you know, class. whether it's uh, there's obviously several examples that I think obviously do well: Five Easy Pieces and Norman Ray, the classics on the waterfront. But at least in you know maybe the last two two decades or so, if you try to portray a, a, a movie about working class issues that just plays it straight and, you know, straight up earnest, it's not going to work. I mean, look at, look at something like the Florida project, which obviously is all about class, but it's done with a bit of a bite to it, a bit of a satire to it. Sorry to bother you. Obviously a satire of, of working class issues. Mm-hmm. And then you can do it with a little bit of anger. And I, I, I think a, a sister movie to this is a, uh, the movie 99 homes starring Michael Shannon and uh, Good
0: film. Andy Garfield a great movie.
4: to me was a much better Florida movie about people living on the margins of society while really going to great lengths just to try to, you know, make it to the next day than this. I just found this to be a little schmaltzy and too earnest for, for my liking. I need if, 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 I'm, if, if Hollywood's going to try to depict, working-class people, I think it needs to be done with with uh, a little bit of a wink and nod or a flamethrower rather than just straight earnest uh, stuff like this.
2: Yeah, in my mind, there were two positives to the movie that I watched, because I only saw about half of it. The uh, sex scene with the naked Nami watch, <laughs> I was excellent big fan of that. And then um, I, I appreciated Matt Dillman doing something different and playing a wheelchair you know, a handicapped gentleman. Something different, unique from what we had seen him done before. I wish it was in a better movie, but washed up until they were starting she got put on midnight shift. She was pregnant, blah blah blah, and he's mad at her because she went to the doctor and that's gonna cost them fifteen hundred dollars, about as far as I made it.
4: You know, I hate to call them kitchen sink dramas, but it's like there is a there is an audience for these types of movies and it's not there's not American viewers. I mean the like the the Brits do this type of movie really well, and then probably the Dardan brothers in, in out of Belgium, like that. Literally every every movie they make is the grimmest you know shit ever about the working class, but it's always up for the palm palm door. Like it, it, they just find a way to make this stuff compelling to their viewers. And I just don't know if a movie like this could ever work here, where it just is like plays everything so
0: straight and narrow. Sean Baker's good at it.
3: Yeah, I was going to say Sean Baker.
0: Yeah, because it's. He did the forward project. All of all of his movies I've seen have run a similar through Red
3: Rocket. Red Rocket was depressing as hell. Jesus. That movie was
0: but how so my problem with this movie is that it's not really saying anything. Yeah. Like that's not obvious. It's right, pointing exactly. out the obvious thing. And it's pointing to the obvious thing, but it's not saying anything exactly more profound than that. It's not adding any like complexity or nuance. It's not even doing anything yeah. like stylistically interesting. It's just like Hey man, being poor sucks. And then you just watch that for an hour and 40 minutes or whatever. Yeah.
4: Whereas, and like those Sean, Mc, those Sean McVeigh Sean Baker movies, like, uh, <laughs> like f- find a way to be yes. As like honest and as like gut punching as hell, but also like funny and mm-hmm. yeah, like colorful. I mean, you, you know, you look at Tangerine and you're like, Crazy. these people in this movie are crazy but it's such a it's such a good slice of life compared to something like this where it's just like beat you down with it's just depressing
0: yeah moralizing being poor isn't the point of a sean baker movie it's just an it's one of the many observations he's making yeah this movie just seemed to be like it's just pointing at the poor yeah and just going there which like matt Dillon is i'd say he's fine in this he's about the time you stop watching Kyle is about the time he turns into the same person he is in every other movie.
2: A, a dickhead? Uh-huh. I mean, he starts to turn into that, but mm-hmm. he does a full transformation to it.
0: Got Pretty it. much. Love it.
2: You can see him <laughs> starting to turn into that because uh-huh. they're alluding to him. Like, she doesn't want to say anything to Mor- Norman Reed his character because he's her landlord, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell he's going to have to like do some shit that he doesn't want to have to do. But I just don't care. I didn't care enough to keep going. Ooh, who where do you guys fall in the critic gap? It's sixty three thirty two. Much
0: closer to the thirty two.
3: Yeah, I
4: was gonna say I'm I'm a below fifty.
3: I did like the part where Naomi Watts at the end said that these goofy bastards are about the only thing I got going for me in this <laughs> crazy world. I like the part where she said, my <laughs> Oh
2: yes, oh
4: yes, my damn man. No, she said she said bang in, Aust- in an Australian accent, which I can't even do.
2: All right, well let's cruise to present day. So. In 2014, he starts dating Roberta Master Michelle. I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce her last name. An Italian actress, a dancer, and choreographer. My understanding is they're still dating. Good for them. Seems to may have found some happiness. And then uh, he gets into the TV side. Again, like I said, he hasn't done a lot of TV, but he does the first season of Wayward Pines in 2015. Uh, a show, Jim and Hansu, they cross over, but Jim is in the second season. But I had never seen the, the show, and I. Watched the whole first season. I was really digging it. The ending is the ending is meh, but the first like six episodes I was super into.
3: Yeah,
4: I, I remember. So this is the my Shyamalan one, right? That he produced.
2: Yeah, uh, that would make sense. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I, the pilot is like it's like two hours long, right? If I remember correctly, it's like a it's almost like a feature length. And I remember watching it in 2015 and really liking it. I didn't finish the first season, but I remember liking it. Yeah. Was it on Fox?
2: yeah the the concept is he he's searching for two secret service agents who have kind of gone off the grid he gets into a car crash wakes up in this like weird understaffed uh, hospital and then finds out pretty quickly he's basically being held hostage in this place called wayward Pines and people aren't supposed to talk about the past and it kind of unravels its mystery from there as to what's really going on sounds like the mix between like x-files and twin peaks basically
4: i was gonna say it's like twin it's like it's like twin peaks but without the david lynch drugs
2: yeah it it got me pretty hooked and i it's hard for me to get super hooked on tv shows these days i I thought it was worthwhile. uh going in style 2017 he plays an fbi agent in that movie with morgan freeman but a bunch of old cats and going in style directed by zach braff was it really yeah i did not know that i didn't know that either And then the house that Jack built a movie that Sam Phillips told me I had to watch uh, a year and a half ago.
0: And I finally got around to it.
4: Yeah. I heard this movie is completely and just overly fucked up.
0: Yeah. I watched it today. So the subject matter makes it disturbing the way it's shot makes it disturbing. The, the kills are brutal and like, the action, but also in how it's like framed, how he how he goes about it, the lack of like music in a lot of them. It's I was with it. So I've never turned on a movie quite like I turned on this one. I was all in the first like the probably first 50 minutes I think I was all in 50 minutes to an hour. By the time this movie was over, I I hate it. I think it's he's great. So this I think is his best performance.
2: He's pretty darn good in this
0: movie. He's incredible in this movie. Uh, this is the biggest departure of anything I've seen him do. He's really good. So, like, if you're like a like if you're a fan, you kind of gotta watch this one. Mm-hmm. Where this movie loses me is when he's out with his quote unquote family. That's when I, I it loses me there. That's when it gets to the point where I'm just like, that sequence is chilling. And then any anybody that can do what he does to Riley Keough, I can't support. <laughs> can't support that. She's a national treasure and she should be protected by
3: all costs. I agree. some peace, Lisa Marie. By the way,
2: have you guys seen any other Lars Von Trier films?
3: Yeah, he's he's just a fucked up
1: dude.
4: I've seen Mel- Melancholia.
2: Melancholia. Well, have you yeah. seen the Nymphomania maniac movies?
4: No I, no, I, I, wasn't gonna do that. <laughs> Four months of that shit. So
3: it's two, it's two parts, isn't it?
4: Isn't it? Yeah, it's like, like yeah,
2: maniac it's One and two, five and a half nine, hours. Nine,
3: one Each one are like two and a half hours too. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, he did, he did Antichrist with Willem Dafoe. Which yeah, that's is like, yeah.
3: One of the more that's like one of the most controversial movies ever. The Dick Double. Yeah, but that, isn't that where isn't that where Willem Dafoe
4: shows his hog and like yeah. so many people were impressed?
2: No, 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 no. John, you need to re listen to the William Defoe episode. Uh, remember, William Defoe's penis is so incredibly large and distracting that Lars von Trier had to go get a German porn star to be his dick double because it was more realistic. <laughs> and the dick that gets cut in half in the movie is not his dick, it's the <laughs> German porn star's dick. Damn. Very important moment in Munson's history on episode 38 that we discuss this half a halfway through the run <laughs> it's a guy who's killed over 60 people and they show you his progression through five different kills the transformation of his character from the first moments alongside uma thurman to him building the house that jack built is a house of corpses in a fucking freezer in a downtown space before he gets caught by the cops and then has a hell sequence
0: and somehow it gets more bizarre than the House of Corpses after that.
2: <laughs> that is high praise. They're having an exit. The weirdest part about this movie is if you hear Matt Dillon talk about it in interviews, he mentions that Lars von Trier said this movie is his most personal work because it's, it's the, the role and slash movie that best describes Lars von Trier, except he doesn't kill people, which is a really fucked up way to look at things.
0: Yeah, that's that's wild. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad I, I'm glad I found that out after I watched the movie.
2: Yeah, so I think anybody who's a Matt Dillon fan should watch it, mm-hmm. but be prepared for what you're walking yourself into. Yeah, but it to the nuanced character to your point, Aubrey. He takes his character takes a significant turn to show you that like he's a pretty normal, like unassuming dude to start the movie, and a woman just like pushes his buttons, mm-hmm. and he discovers this new. Muscle to flex, and by golly, does
0: he flex it by the end of the movie? He's got a mirror scene. Mm -hmm. He's making faces in a mirror. It's so good. He's so he's like it's, it's incredible what he does in this movie. Like it's, he should get all the praise and all the flowers for this performance.
2: And to be honest, he'd been kind of really since nothing but the truth in 2008. He really hadn't done much. I guess Wayward Pines, but. Guys, we sped ahead 10 years and didn't really talk about much. Mm. Like Matt Dillon's career kind of took a big halt Mm. when he started dating this Italian actress or, you know, actor. So, uh, this was hopefully a sign of more to come with him. But we'll see. Hopefully he doesn't have to do a bunch of Lars von Trier films and that's the only thing he can do. For real. I'll watch him if he's in them. I'll watch him.
1: If I was dating an Italian 10 and didn't have to work, I would not work. I guess that's true. So just FYI.
2: Alright, then the final movie we'll talk about is twenty uh, twenties Capone. He plays Johnny a film that many, many people, including a lot of critics, fucking hate. And it's the same it's Josh what's his name? He's the guy who did the Fantastic Four movies. Josh Trank. 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 And people are very mad at him after this
0: movie.
3: Yeah, I didn't see this. I I, I saw Tom Hardy in the in the makeup, and I was just like, I can't do it, sorry.
0: <laughs> I wanted to get to this, and I couldn't, just because I love Tom Hardy. But I couldn't get to it.
3: I did, too. I like Tom Hardy a lot, but I just said, yeah. And some things are better off not being seen. Have we made enough movies about Al
2: Capone? And the, It's pretty fucking brutal. They show him, like, shit himself all the time. It's it's a, <laughs> from Josh Rankin.
4: It also came out in May 2020.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs>
4: Do what Top Gun did and be like, we'll
3: we'll just put this in the can for two years. They didn't make him fat enough. Like Al Capone was like fat and just like a grease ball. Like Tom Hardy was like skinny in it, from what I remember.
2: All right, Rigby, we're at top performances. What do you got for us? All right,
3: so I found a recent list from Scribe Magazine. Um, it's a film, TV, pop culture uh, journal. And it's from July 2022, and it's just film, and it's uh, numerically ranked 10 to 1.
2: July of 2022, so it's relatively recent. Yep,
3: and I don't really know what prompted it to come out. Pat Healy, something about Mary. It's actually not on here, which is bullshit. Right, fuck that.
0: Oh!
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks, Kyle, thanks for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well,
3: if that's the case, then Golden Gate must be on there.
0: Yeah. I can assure you it's not. <laughs>
3: This website kind of looks like a, almost like a village voice type mm, okay, uh, source, John. So that should give you sort of an idea of what they're, what what they consider to be like a great performance. Hey, drugstore,
4: drugstore, cowboy is probably number one.
3: That's number three. Rumblefish is number one. Rumblefish is number four. Ooh.
0: The house that Jack
3: built. Uh, no. Okay. That's not on here at all. Well, the outsiders. Outsiders is five. Oh, wow. Okay. Is Sunlight Junior on there?
4: Sunlight Junior.
3: Yeah, Sunlight Junior is number seven. Mm-hmm. Give me Crash. Crash. Crash is not on here. Oh this nice. Oh, his Oscar-winning role. This is way too fart-sniffing for uh, for Crash to be on there. <laughs> Which is saying a lot. Yeah. Wild Things. Wild Things is not Lane. Flamingo Kid. Nope. To Die For. To Die For is number nine. Okay. Give me, give me my bodyguard. Uh, nope. In and out. Nope. Bucket, City of Ghosts. Yes, number eight. I had a feeling. He's not bad in that. Nothing but the truth. Uh no. We need ten, six, two, no. and one. Are we missing one? We're missing the top two? What?
0: The Saint of Fort Washington?
3: Uh yeah, Saint of Fort Washington is number one, Aubrey. There you go. All right. How about Tex? Tex is number two. All right. Alright, a
2: kiss before dying. Nope. What are we missing? We're missing six and ten. One of them we reviewed. If you say Deuces Wild, I'm going to shit all over it. Beautiful Girls?
3: Nope. I'll just I'll just label them. Yeah. Number six is my movie, Over the Edge. Okay. Okay. And number 10 is Little Darlings.
2: Okay. Interesting. So The Saint of Fort Washington made the number one role. Yeah. Crash, Wild Things, and There's Something About Mary are not on this list.
0: And The House That Jack Built.
3: This review says this is Matt's most of Santa for Washington. This is Matt's most vulnerable and understated performance. I think it's his best ever character is so tender and sad. Something that Matt hardly ever gets to play, even though he does it so well when he does True. the movie really hinges on his relationship with Danny Glover's character. And the two of them have excellent chemistry and every seam, every scene between them feels natural. So it at times can be a little too depressing, but it never dips into exploitation. I hope the film someday gets the recognition it deserves. So there you go. He certainly gave it some recognition.
0: <laughs> and would not be a fan of this podcast. We
2: did not. <laughs> I mean, we would have watched it if we had the opportunity. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to apologize to this guy to be
1: getting a next podcast. Great.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get into the months and meter boys. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to hundred based on a variety of factors that could include longevity project choice pop culture impact acting range their words footprint you know, the talents they might have personal life comedic chops box office success or lack thereof and anything else that matters to us as munsons this time we'll start with rigby yeah so big matt dillman uh i've always liked him never really had
3: anything against him even like movies like you mean to pre which are shouldn't be funny are still like watchable because of matt Dillon. um And yeah, this is a fun episode. And obviously, There's Something About Mary is one of my top comedies ever, too. Um, So yeah, fan of his, he's going to get a 75 from me.
1: His career trajectory reminds me a lot of Andy McDowell, um, where I think he was abruptly and very constrictively typecast early. And that was what a lot of decisions were made on I don't know if if these were roles that he just loved or if it was somebody in his camp going, hey man, you've got a brand, let's push for that. That didn't work out very well in terms of him getting the kind of movies that I think he's capable of doing. I don't think he's demonstrated a ton of range in any of the movies. And in the movies I think he's best in, he's playing exactly what he's good at and so it's it's tough to to kind of really give him a lot of credit for range even though I think he has it. I hope we see some more in his upcoming projects. I do find him enjoyable. I think he's got great name recognition. I would never not watch a movie cuz Matt Dillon's in it. With that, I'm going to give him a 65.
2: John Arm um, months I'm kind of
4: I'm kind, I've kind of been struggling with this because I I he's in a lot of bad movies and i do think like having box office dud after box office dud should should detract his score quite a bit let's say 63 but that's only because he's in my favorite comedy which gives him points and he was able to bag cameron diaz at the height of her powers um so that alone right there gives him a boost i'm gonna say 63 but that number could just as easily be dragged down by a lot of just really bad movies that have come across his filmography. Um, I will say this though, especially the later half of his career, it sounds like I mean, really once his once, you know, kind of star started to fade a little bit after, after there's something about Mary, because uh, my understanding is that his, his comeback in crash was really kind of like that. It was a comeback um after people had kind of written him off i do think like you know i don't i don't want to watch the house that jack built but it sounds like he's like not afraid to take risks which i think he should be rewarded for yeah which probably then is also correlated to the piss poor box office performance in some of these movies but at least like he's you know he's willing to kind of get out there and and take a leap which uh which i admire
3: yeah, he gets a 75 for me just from not being in a fucking Marvel movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yet.
2: yeah, I was about to say, don't, don't count the chickens over there. I find his rise as a punk kid on screen fascinating. I'm with you guys. I don't think he's got a ton of range. And if he has, he hasn't been able to flex too much of it. Maybe we'll see some more stuff like the house that Jack built. Even though I didn't necessarily love Sunlight Junior. I I liked him taking some chances with the character and doing something different. Um, I'd say he I think he does best when he's in roles that allow him to be dry. And deliberate, I guess it was just that's hard to like, I feel like I it's much easier most of the time for me to like describe a performer and Matt Dillon is just I just can't put my finger on how I would describe him to other people. Um, His project choice is okay. I wish I would have been able to see some more of the stuff in the 80s because I think I would have liked him a little bit better. Um, and his pop culture just impact just isn't there. And we see from Case's standings when he's in like the like 66 out of 78 or whatever it is. It's in the 60s. It's it's just... I think people would recognize him if they saw him, but they wouldn't know his name yeah. most of the time. And especially not Matt Dillman. He does have the Oscar nom, but it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's Crash. And he did win the Best Villain, which, you know, it's nothing to shake shake a stick at. That's a big deal. It's more, he's won more Best Villain awards than I've ever gotten or will ever get. But with all that said, I'm going to give him a 64. Aubrey, round us out.
0: I had a hard time with this, too. Um, the experience was an interesting one. I wasn't overly familiar with Mad Dylan going into this. I know who he was. I saw Crash, something about Mary, Wild Things. But he wasn't someone that I knew a ton about. So I was excited to kind of dig into that. It's a little disappointing to dig into it and see like that there wasn't a ton more there. But I also don't really drop that all at his feet because after every movie that I watched, I was like, man, I don't know if I really like that movie that much, but I liked him. My takeaway was always that I liked him and it wasn't enough to make the movies better, but it was enough that like, I didn't regret watching the movie. So I'd watch something with him in it. I think he's a. I think he's a good actor. Like it's not like he doesn't just do the job. He's not solid. He's a good actor. He um he does very well. Pretty much every time he's on screen, he seems to be taking more chances, stretching himself a little bit more, or at least getting opportunities to do more. The house that Jack built. To, uh, the house that Jack built is a huge like. That's something that gets me really excited for where he can go. Um. But with that all being said, I'm gonna go sixty.
2: Restructure. So, all right. With that, that's gonna give Matt Dillon a 65.4, which puts him in 57th place, sandwiched between Gary Cole and Seth Green.
4: <laughs> good company.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, I dude, I think him and Gary Cole. That's like
3: a good. That's a that's a good uh good pairing. That is.
2: Mm-hmm. Seth Green. <laughs> Child <laughs> actor Seth Green. Aubrey, what is he got coming soon?
0: Uh, so I've got him for three things on IMDb. Uh, I'm going to go in reverse order of what I would be excited to see. So he's got a thriller uh, called Haunted Heart, uh, which is a thriller that I don't want to get into, but him and thrillers might be okay. An Ocean Apart is a romance. With Charlotte Gainsbourg from the *Nymphomaniac* films that Kyle was touting earlier, uh, also wasn't she was an Antichrist too, wasn't she? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So this is set in Paris and Chicago in the late nineteen forties. *An Ocean Apart* revolves around the passionate, uh, tempestuous love affair between left-wing feminist writer and an American novelist. So he's the American novelist, obviously. Um, I'm actually into that. Because I I think both of them are good actors and that could be really interesting.
3: It kind of sounds like Golden Gate too, and you liked that, didn't you?
0: Uh wow. <laughs> Just got sideswiped there. <laughs> if that movie's like Golden Gate, then I feel bad for everybody involved and everyone that goes to watch. <laughs> uh but most notably, he's in Wes Anderson's new film that's coming out this year in June, Asteroid City. So if you don't know about this movie, here's who's in it. Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Edward Norton, Scarlett Johansson, Brian Cranston, Maya Hawke, Steve Carell, Adrian Brody. Shit. Willem Dafoe, Tilda Swinton, Jeff Goldblum, Rupert Friend, Rita Wilson, Hope Davis, uh, Jason Swartzman. Fisher Stevens. Yep, Fisher Stevens. Leah Schreiber, Jeffrey Wright. Jesus! None of us got a call for that movie. Holy shit. Everybody else did. Hong Chow, is that how you say her name? She's in it also. So Danny Trejo? (laughs) Yeah. I was about to say, how many other Munson's are in this movie? (laughs) I didn't get that far down, but he might be. I don't know. Uh, So that's coming this year. He's in that, which, but that's to me, that's really exciting. Wes Anderson film, Wes Anderson release is always a big one. Um, Yeah. And so he's in that, which, you know, maybe that'll, lead to more things like that coming in the future so i don't know i'm really excited for that one
2: all right five actors with the one on the wheel for episode 79 it's going to drop on february 16th we're bringing back jeff reed who is with us for the tooch episode our australian guest but he the wheel chose one of these five actors and he picked a to join for this actor so We've got Edgar Ramirez, Chris Evans, Queen Latifah, Gene Hackman, and Julianne Nicholson. What do we love, not love about that list? Oh, love the hack. If Jeff doesn't make it.
4: Can't do it. I'm I'm all there for the Hackman.
2: (laughs) Okay. How long
1: would that episode be? I am not all here for the Hackman because he's out. Give me Queen Latifah, because she's got like three film roles. And Gene Hackman's (laughs) probably got 250.
4: Yeah, Hackman. That would be that would be a five hour episode.
1: Just
0: wait till you see Just Right.
1: I'm gonna look. At least I'd (laughs) have time to watch every bad movie that she has.
0: High highs and low lows with Queen Latifah.
2: Gene Hackman is 102 credits, so not as many as you. sarcastically, guys.
0: I will only refer to him as
3: Eugene Elder during that episode if we do him. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you guys probably want to do Chris Evans. Um, I. Would take a lot of bathroom breaks during that episode because <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of marvel superhero stuff
2: we would clump his his marvel stuff like we do with a lot of them
3: yeah we get to do some knife, knives out he's and- a lot of other fun stuff snow piercer is a great movie oh i love snow great man oh and also not another teen movie excellent
2: oh, oh my god I, I totally want to talk about not another teen movie yep. i love that <laughs> film it's so good, dude.
1: If we're going to do Chris Evans, i got to up my workout game here fast so I can get into shape
2: for that episode. <laughs> James would be super excited to talk about how we accidentally took a picture of his hog and posted it on his social media, and then yep. the whole world rallied around it and said, you're good, man. You're a good person. Yeah. Nice dick, bro. <laughs> we all make mistakes. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the world too, which I fucking love. Yes. And his character is a lot of fun in that movie. Julianne Nicholson. She's a good actress fan. I think she'd be fun to dig into.
3: Oh, she's been in some great stuff. Great HBO um, series. Hi, Tanya. She was most recently in um, mayor of
2: Easton on HBO.
4: Oh yeah. That woman. She's great.
2: Oh, that was so good. She's, Oh, she's in Togo too. I really liked not that anybody else is. I might be the only Togo guy out there.
0: Edgar Ramirez. Edgar Ramirez, you know,
2: he's a little bit younger in the game. Not as huge of a name as the rest, obviously. But he's been in some action films over the past decade or so. You're dark 30. Yep, I just looked it up. Queen Latifah's got
1: 78 movie credits as an actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: man. She's, Shit. she's an actor. Set, Oh,
1: set it off. Let's go. I pull that back. I'm no longer interested in Queen Latifah's.
2: <laughs> well, Edgar Ramirez has 42 credits. Bingo. There you go. Oh. That's my guy. That's your new guy? We'd get
1: to re- rewatch Girls Trip. That would be exciting. Oh,
3: that's true. Ugh. That was my movie.
2: Who do we think uh, Jeff picked? Chris Evans. Evans, yeah. Picked the tooch last time.
0: Okay. I'm going off the board, Queen Latifah. <laughs> I'm hoping.
2: You're going Queen Latifah? Okay. Well... Well, we don't decide John doesn't decide. Jeff Reed doesn't decide the wheel decides we'll see how it goes John, it's great, man. We appreciate you. thanks for stepping in, especially with uh one we were down a months and you're always great to have here any plugs you know wise words for the audience. this is uh the red carpet, my friend
4: no, thanks again for having me uh pleasure to talk about Matt Dillon. it's a he's had a bit of a wild uh wild filmography, so always happy to. To, uh, you know, talk about weird, weird movies. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next one. This will be it'll be number five next time. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to I'll have to bring it to get a gold jacket.
3: (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) I believe that (laughs) still haven't done Bill Paxson. So that's still
2: it still awaits the day. The day that he gets picked by the generator, you'll uh, be just putting your name on it setting on the schedule, my friend. Thanks
1: for jumping on with us tonight. It's always a blast having you, buddy. Yeah, thanks, John.
4: Yep, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, this was fun.
2: Yep. As we wrap up, as always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Matt Dillon? That's
0: cute. I don't buy it, but uh, it's cute. Munson's out.
3: All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?
4: Those goofy bastards are just about the best thing I've got going in this crazy world.